Do you feel inspired to get outdoors and reconnect with nature? How about outdoors travel, walking the long distance trails in England? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am joined by the Barbados Flash via the Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch. We have a really exciting show for you today that has to do with the great outdoors. What a perfect time given the spring thaw, the um, uh, COVID restrictions that are still in place in some places around the world. So uh, we're looking forward to getting outside today. And as for outdoors, Dave, guess what our temperature in Las Vegas is going to be today? Don't tell me it's 200 degrees Fahrenheit now. Uh, not quite, <laughs> but you're not very far off. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I think I'm looking at my phone as we speak. The high today is is 86. The high tomorrow is almost 100. Oh, man. I don't know how you deal with that, man. I'll tell you, I can't wait to get outdoors again. I mean, we try to avoid talking about COVID during our podcast, but we just can't help. It keeps coming up. And I see where the CDC here in the United States, uh, if you're vaccinated, can you go outdoors? How does it play if uh, you're outdoors and everyone's vaccinated? You don't have to wear a mask. So that's exciting news. You know, you mentioned I'm the Barbados Flash. I haven't been to Barbados in like three years. I just want to travel. I want to get out there. Yeah, I'm 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 itching to hit the road and you know, I'm jealous of a couple of our contributors who are going going to the Maldives of all places, um, but we'll touch on that uh, later. But as regards to your CDC comment, I, uh, you know, living here in Las Vegas where the temperature seldom gets below 32 degrees, I have been outdoors without a mask pretty much the entire time. I did quit going to the gym until recently, but since I've had the vaccines, I've been able to go back indoors a little bit. But our gym is virtually empty, so I haven't really been that close to anybody. But I say all that to you to say that I have been riding a bike for almost a year now because I didn't want to go inside and contract COVID. And this actually segues perfectly with our guest today. I got to tell you, being outdoors with my helmet on, with my bike, by myself, it is peaceful. I get more ideas floating through my head about, you know, for those of you who don't know, I also write screenplays. I get more ideas about how to write my screenplays or how to improve this podcast or how to improve our website in that 15, in the first 15 minutes of my hour and a 15, 20 minute bike ride. It is great being outside. Even more so, I can't wait to hear from our guest today. She's a, she, her, her love for nature is second to, I, I want to say second to, to um, I can't think of anything that it's second to, to be honest uh, with you. Maybe maybe a second to her love for our podcast, but who knows? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she's she's smiling in the background, so I don't want to make her wait too long since she's joining us from the UK. Um, Let let me dispense with those few housekeeping notes. You can find our podcast, TripCast360.com, on our website, TripCast360.com, or wherever you get your podcast. We are on every single platform imaginable and a few you probably don't even know about. From you know iTunes to Amazon to Spotify, we're there, iHeartRadio. So please follow, like, subscribe, and please encourage all of your friends to do the same. And uh, we have some exciting news coming up shortly. We're actually going to launch our own store on our website. We're actually going to start a, a, a photo contest. We've reimagined it a little bit, so it'll be a little more exciting when we launch it, which I'm hoping to do sometime next month. So stay tuned for all of that great stuff. And Dave, you've got some more information. Johnny, come on down. Yeah, we're excited about being on. Well, we, we have to be on social media. That's the, that's the place to be. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn. And follow us, like us, message us, and tag us. We're all excited. And, you know, we're putting, um, Michael didn't mention it, but we're putting specific uh, emphasis on Instagram. Uh, Michael, maybe you want to share that a bit. Yeah, we, we've been, our, our, our photo contest will actually be on Instagram because it lends itself to photography and imagery and, and it's a, a perfect place. So we've been doing, um, uh, advertising on Instagram and things like that. We'll actually start to promote the photo contest shortly on Instagram as well. 
So yeah, our, our first emphasis is trying to really build up that Instagram following. And as of late, uh, we've gotten some really great response, especially with oh, yeah. recent podcast from Hawaii, our, our, our numbers are picking up. So yeah, please, uh, uh, if you have to pick a platform, go to Instagram and just follow us. We'd love that. That's, that's right. And uh, I just want our audience to know that we're, we're, even, we're more than a podcast, Michael. We're a website, um, a unique uh, consumer-friendly approach that we take with our audience uh, with information they can use. They can use either to purchase items and products, or if you just want to come to our podcast and have a fun time and reading about our, the traveler experiences, I'm certain you would not be disapp- you would not be disappointed. Well, and in light, and on that note, uh, if you are somebody who thinks they would make a good podcast guest, uh, you can just drop us a line at contact at tripcast360.com. We personally respond to everything that comes there. So, yeah. um, you know, if you if you want to be a guest on our show, just hit us up, and uh, you know, we'll we'll discuss it and go from there. Anyway, let's jump into our guest today. Her name is Holly Wharton. She's a podcaster and author of 17 books. Uh, Holly is an adventure traveler and an outdoor enthusiast. She loves hiking, walking, and camping. Nature is Holly's way of reconnecting with self. She spends her quiet moments hiking the Surrey Hills region of southern England, where she currently lives. The California native has also explored the great outdoors in Spain, Costa Rica, Mexico, Chile, and Argentina. Hello, Holly, and welcome to TripCast 360. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Like Michael said, you're originally from California. Yeah. You've, you live in the UK right now. Um, you've done 406 episodes. You've write several books. Tell us about yourself and your life prior to all this success that that you that you've had? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, well, I grew up in a very small town in California, um, right down the street from the Mount Diablo National Park or state. What is it? I guess. Yeah, I guess it's a state park. I think it's a state park. Yeah, it's a state park, not a national park. Um, It's been a long time. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) so it's, it was a small state park right down at the end of my street. And I used to drag all my high school friends there to go hiking <laughs> in the summer, like when it was like roasting hot. And, <laughs> and <laughs> like, I, I don't know why they put up with me. I don't know why they came with me. Um, <laughs> but, but it was just really beautiful and it felt really wild and it was so close to home. And, um, and I loved it. And I just loved getting outdoors. And I grew up, you know, in a house with a big garden and my parents kind of grew their own vegetables. And so I was used to playing outdoors. I mean, I'm going to be 48 years old this year. So like I'm of the generation when kids were allowed to play outside and kind of do their own thing. So, you know, I I just I love being outdoors. And it just I kind of took that with me as I grew up and I just love it. You lived in Spain, Costa Rica, Mexico, Chile and Argentina, originally from a small town in California. Um, what is unique about all these places that you live or are there major differences? Wow. Yeah, there's, there's major differences. Yeah. Um, so what happened was I studied abroad in Spain when I was, I think it was my third year of, of university and it was my first time outside of the United States. And all of a sudden I was in Europe (laughs) 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 and it was like, Whoa, there's this whole world out there and I really like it. And where am I going to go next? And then Costa Rica, I went um, in between undergrad and grad school, teach English for a few months. Mm. And then Mexico, I I got a scholarship to study in Mexico when I was in grad school. And then from there, it just kind of continued. And the last time I lived in the States was 1990s. Wow. Been a while. <laughs> you and I share something in common. My first international trip was at age five, Spain. Oh, nice. I lived, nice. I lived in Madrid for um, three years. I actually, went, I actually went to first and second grade in Madrid. Oh, wow. Uh, my, dad, my dad was in the Air Force. Um, so mm-hmm. at the time, they had a base called Torrejon Air Base that was in Madrid. And it was my first exposure to you know, something that wasn't an American culture. And as a five-year-old, you don't really appreciate that. As an adult, I now understand 
uh, how lucky I was. Um, it was during the era in the 1960s when the civil rights movement and Vietnam War protests were a big deal in the States. And I missed all that. And when you're in Spain, you don't realize, uh, I, I guess that the United States back in those days was kind of the center of the world because it was post-World War II. The rest of Europe was still recovering. Uh, we had to deal with the racial issues that were in the United States, which I did not have to deal with in Spain. When I came back to America, I was eight and I was in shock because it was the first time I remember somebody actually disliking me because of the color of my skin, because they didn't do that in Spain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a weird uh, 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 juxtaposition to having to come back from a country like Spain and then coming back to the U S but you are in the UK right now. Yes. What drove you there? <laughs> After 13 years of living in Spanish-speaking countries, um, my husband and I decided we wanted to move somewhere in Europe, and he has the European passport, so that made it easy. And we just kind of sat down and made a list of top countries we'd want to live in, and we both decided that England would sound like a good place. I'd never been here before. I'd never even visited. I just thought, let's just sell everything and move here. Um, so here we are, 11 years later. <laughs> Any plans on traveling or leaving anytime soon? <laughs> I have traveled. It's not like I haven't left the oh, country. Okay. Since I'm we just here. checking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really, really happy here. I absolutely love it. I live in a really small town, just about an hour outside of London. So I'm close to the city, but I'm in the middle of nature. So it's it's absolutely perfect. For me. Wow. Uh, what, describe for us. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm assuming a lot of our listeners probably don't know where Surrey Hills is in, yeah. in, in the UK and what it's like when you're out hiking. Describe Surrey Hills for us. Describe being out in nature and, and the and it's it's a lot um it's an easier nature to be in than like in the States. You know, we don't have scary animals here. Uh, the most <laughs> dangerous animal we have is the cow and cows kill probably five or six people a year. Um so you don't have a lot to worry about. So it's, it's, it's really safe. Um, so where I live is it's a small town surrounded by like rolling hills, farmland, forests. Surrey is the most wooded county. So we have a ton of trees of all different kinds. I mean, we've got oak trees that are hundreds of years old. We have yew trees that some of them are thousands of years old. I mean, I've some yew trees have certificates that have estimated how old they are. They can be, you know, 1500 wow. years, 2000 years really just old, gnarled, beautiful trees. Mm -hmm. And you can just walk on trails for miles and miles on end and, or ride your bike or run or whatever it is, you know, that you enjoy doing outdoors. But we have this amazing network of public rights of way. So public footpaths, public bridleways that go through private property. So you can walk through someone's farm on a public footpath. Um, and it gives you so much access to land that you wouldn't have access to in other parts of the world because you have these footpaths and bridleways that take you through people's private land. Um, fantastic. Wow. You do that in the United States, you get sued. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but these are really ancient paths that people used hundreds and thousands of years ago for foot traffic. And because they've been used for so much of history, They've just become, you know, legal rights of way. Wow. Tell, tell us about how the Surrey Hills and that famous UK weather we hear so much about. Uh, is it like there are there times when it's foggy and cloudy in Surrey Hills or is it rainy or is it misty outside or is this a bright sunshine? Because I know it's lush and green. That part I do know. <laughs> it's lush and green and it's lush and green because it rains and it's, you know, it's, it's not California weather. Um, it's not what I grew up with. It's, it's often overcast. It's drizzly. It can be rainy. Um, this last winter was so wet and the trails were so muddy. I just got so tired of mud like never before. Um, but then the sun does come out and you appreciate it because you don't see it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I've never appreciated the sun so much as now that I live here. But I, it's, it's actually really nice weather for being outdoors because when it's overcast, it's not as hot. You don't have that like scorching heat that you can get, you know, in other parts of the world. And I just find it to be really good weather for being outdoors. You, you need good waterproofs, tops and bottoms. But, you know, no, it's I good. Gotcha. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you, every time that I've been to London, I've been there for conferences. I was there once. I visited um, Parliament, actually. I couldn't take any photographs because it was raining. My camera, I had to protect my my equipment. I remember one day coming out of the Docklands, um, the um, Excel Convention Center, and it was raining, and the temperature seems seemed a bit bleak, and people were out in shorts. What a what a what a beautiful day! I just couldn't understand it. <laughs> here, here the sun comes out, and it could be really cold. But if the sun's out, people are like sleeveless tops. They're like ready to go for the sun. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy spending a lot of time outdoors, walking the trails, etc. How? How transformative is that for you? How does that, what what does that do for you? What does it mean to you to be outdoors? It's peaceful and it's quiet. It gives me so many things. Um, let us count the ways. So it's, it's an opportunity to kind of slow down because, you know, we're so fast paced in life. Like we've got yeah. our goals. We've got to do the stuff to achieve our goals, run our business, all that stuff. And it helps me to slow down. Um, and it helps me to reconnect with myself through slowing down. Um, even when I'm out running, because I, I love hiking, but I also love trail running. Even when I'm running, I feel like I'm connecting with myself because I'm just in tune with the land and the weather and the stuff that's going on around me and and the sights that I'm seeing as I'm traveling through these trails. It's just, it's a great way of reconnecting with myself. Is that part of the mind, body, and soul concept? Yeah, I would say so. Because, I mean, you're getting mind, body, and soul out of this one experience of being outdoors. You know, you're getting the physical activity, which is good for your body. You're getting the mental stimulation of nature, and you're relaxing. So that's that's calming. And then, to me, being out, outdoors in nature is a really spiritual experience. Yeah. But it's not fun if the only animal that you have to run away from is a cow. I mean... <laughs> well, okay, so, so there are squirrels, there are badgers, there are foxes, but they're all really safe. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go up to a badger and like stick my finger yeah, in his mouth say, or try yeah. to pet it, but like, you know, they're not going to come after you. <laughs> you, you. You need us to import a few snakes for you? You know, I hate those things. Oh, well, okay. There are, I think, three species of snakes here in the UK, in Britain, one of oh. which is. Um, uh, toxic. <laughs> What's the word? Venomous. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is venomous. So we have the adder, which is venomous. And that's Ooh, yeah. the only one. And I've never in all of my years of being outdoors here seen an adder. I don't know where they are. Like, I don't know. I know what they look like because I Googled them, but never seen one. So they're doing their own thing. And that, that, that's a wonderful thing. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <for> somebody who's <laughs> almost been bitten by a rattlesnake twice. Trust oh. me. That's good. Um, I, but you touched on something in response to Dave's question about kind of being centered in outdoors. And this is going to, this is one of the things I was discussing in the pre-show about when I ride my bike. But when I left Spain as an eight-year-old boy, I spent four more years in Northern Maine. And Northern Maine has weather a lot like the UK. We, we were buried, we were tucked in Maine's Northeast corner, about maybe 10 minute car ride from the Canadian border, North of Quebec, North of Montreal, you know, where the St. Lawrence River comes in out of the Atlantic and kind of delves down into and forms the St. Lawrence River leading to the Great Lake. We were north of all of that stuff. And I remember as a little boy just going outside during the summer months where the high temperature got to 75 if you were lucky. <laughs> and laying in this big grass field with my little friends and just staring up at the sky. No noise. None. It was like noise pollution. Goodbye. And I underappreciated how much that meant to me until I became an adult and moved to Colorado, where I graduated from high school in Colorado Springs, because we would like hike the trails around Pikes Peak. Mm. And there's nothing out there. It's like totally peaceful. And now I appreciate the fact that it actually centered me and it cleared my mind. But back then I was like a kid. I was like, I don't really care, you know. And so that outdoorsy thing that you have alluded to has... um, uh, actually helps me now, even though I'm in a landlocked destination, which I plan on not being in for very much longer, but I get it. I get where you're coming from. Mm. Yeah. It really just gives you a peace of mind. Yeah, it, it does. And you know, my, my favorite place to be is on a beach. I don't care what beach it, it, you know, I, I grew, I also spent part of my childhood in Florida. Obviously I spent 30 years in California, 
you know, I've been to pretty much every island in the Caribbean. Uh, you know, I haven't been to Dave's country since the 1980s, but I've pretty much been to most of them. I've been to Fiji. I've been to Korea. I mean, I've been to uh, all the beaches, the Mediterranean. And I just, that's my sanctuary more so than what you do, you know, in, in hiking in the woods and stuff. But I get it. I mean, I totally understand where you're coming from on, on just trying to recenter yourself. You said that trees have a much broader perspective on life compared to humans. Ex- explain that to me. That's a general statement. Let's, 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 let's dig a bit deeper there. Well, trees are older than us. Um, you know, like I've said, there are yew trees here that are, you know, 1,500, 1,700 years old. Um, you are making a reference to my book called If Trees Could Talk. Yes. Um, which is uh, a departure from my usual outdoors activities, um, where I talked to 28 trees and collected their stories for my book. Um, mm. So I'm a plant spirit communicator and a tree communicator, and uh, that's part of the stuff I do outdoors. So I do the practical nice. stuff like trail running and hiking, and then I do the spiritual stuff like talking to trees. Are we talking about nature at this point? Um, you're an outdoors person, but you know, but we'll get into your other experiences living in some of these countries. You want to, you want to talk about the food. You want to talk about, you know, social life, but, uh, I'm really, really captivated by the knowledge that you have about the outdoors and how, how, how meaningful it is for us as, as, uh, as humans. Well, I think, you know, I mean, how many years we were hunters and gatherers and we were living off the land and we had such a close connection to the land. And then for the last, you know, what, 10,000, 20,000 years, like we've moved away from that and, and we're further and further from nature. So it's now we have to make an effort to get back into nature and back into the outdoors. Whereas before it would have just been a normal part of life. And I think that's why we find it so kind of healing and so restorative because that's where we come from. I mean, so much of our ancestry was living in peace and harmony with nature. Yeah. And and I don't think human beings really understand, going back to your trees, I don't think human beings understand how vital trees are to just human existence, period. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we hear about the burning going on down in the Amazon rainforest of them chopping down all the trees and, and the you know, the oxygen levels and the carbon dioxide that those trees absorb, we, we miss all of that. And I I think it's just a fundamental lack of understanding that we can't take these things down. They need to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and it's scary. And and going back to your trees comment, I remember, I don't know how, because Northern Maine is so untouched by man. um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I have never done the study of trees like you did, but I'm assuming given the, the, similar geography between the two countries that uh, Northern Maine's probably got some trees that are in the thousands of years old, just Mm. like what you were experiencing. And we used to climb those trees as kids, just hang out. And it was just like, at my age, I'm actually missing that. And I can't believe I'm saying that to you. Yeah. I I've never been to Maine, but it's on my list of places I want to go. It just, I just imagine it being like dense forest with like, Beautiful green things everywhere you look. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the lack of wild animals that you have to worry about. I mean, Maine has a couple of snakes. We don't even have a poisonous snake in Maine. At least the last time I was there, they didn't. Uh, I mean, it, we used to go traipsing through the woods in the winter time when there's 110 inches of snow on the ground, not knowing at the time how dangerous it was for us to be doing that. But I learned something through my little Cub Scout group to always mark a tree of some kind with uh, something so we could find our way out of the woods. Well, the one time I did not mark the tree was the one time I got lost and it scared the living, you know, what out of me. And we wandered for hours and, and it was getting dark. I don't know what we would have done had, um, had that not happened, but, uh, you learn, it's just one of those things from nature that you figure out. And, you know, I remember wading in water that was up to my waist because I got lost and wound up going someplace where the snow melted. So yeah, it was bizarre. Uh, but beautiful at the same time. I just, and see, now you got me started. You got me waxing poetic about my time in Maine. And, you know, and, yeah, I'm not going back there to live, but uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I want to hear about some 
good old food and some adult beverages and <laughs> and uh, stuff like that, you know? Damn it, Dave. Okay. They, damn it, Dave. They don't serve rum in the UK like that. <laughs> I know, but I can go to a pub and certainly yes. have, some, have some good fun. Yes, you can. <laughs> so what, where, where in the world would you like to know about uh, adult beverages and food here in the UK? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 As you said, pubs are kind of the central focal point of socializing here. I mean, obviously, you've got, you know, tons of different beers, you can get drinks, you can get food, um, you can bring your dogs. A lot of people like go on a walk and then, you know, go to a pub and bring yeah. their dog. Um, yeah, it's the, I mean, there's so many pubs everywhere, like, and they're just starting to open up. So here in the UK, we're on a really rough lockdown. Um, can't eat indoors or drink indoors yet, but pubs yeah. and restaurants are open for outdoors dining and drinking. So it's been a huge shift to have that open. I mean, you can drive past pubs and like see people like, outside having a drink mm. and it's it's a real different change. Like you can tell how important that is to the culture here to, you know, for people to have that. We had a recent guest that... Um... Talked about a, I think it's a street, um, somewhere in the UK where it's lined with pubs, and uh, mm. we we thought about doing a, a, what we call it a pub cast from there, uh, yeah. as opposed to a trip cast. And he was all excited about all of this fun in this street of pubs. Yeah, yeah. that was, that that was Aaron. Um, yeah, Aaron Millar. Aaron's actually from the UK. And uh, I think he's based in the States now, but he's from the UK and he's like you. He loves outdoors. He loves nature. So we were just having this banter back and forth. And he says, maybe we should do a pub cast to just go throughout England and just do a whole show just on pubs. Yeah. So we need you to get that country open again. So Dave and I can go over there and do this. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do what I can. I'll let you know what I've got to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> just call you a few of your closest friends. <laughs> So I, I, I want to take a little bit of a, a, a pivot because you have been to a boatload of other countries where uh, I know you mentioned at the top of the podcast, you've had multiple Spanish speaking destinations that you and your husband have lived in or that you went to school in or got fortunate to get scholarships to go visit and all that stuff. Let's go backwards a little bit. And you mentioned Spain as your first international mm -hmm. destination. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience in Spain. Where did you live? Just so, so you'll know, I lived in Madrid, but where did yeah. you live? My girlfriend's also from Spain. She was born in Valencia oh. and, she, and she too has a Spanish passport. So, you know, we use that at times too. So give us your Spain experience and then we'll go from there. Wow. Um, so I was, the study abroad program was in Granada, but for the first week we were in Madrid and we kind of did this whole like introduction to culture and, you know, school and all that stuff. And it was just, I mean, I don't even know if I have words for it. You know, it was my <laughs> first time outside the United States. And I remember just wandering around with my friends and like, I had studied Spanish for years and like junior high and high school and college. And, and I, like the words weren't coming out of my mouth, you know, cause they don't, the way they teach you, they don't make you speak it. And so it was like, I had all these words in my head and I was like struggling to get them out. And, and, and it didn't matter because it was just the delight of being in this other country and eating different foods. And I remember the week that we were in Madrid, we were staying at the dorms at the university there. And they had like full on sit down dinners, like these huge tables of like, I think it was eight or 10 people per table. And they would serve you food like soup and salad and main courses and a bottle of wine for each table. And like cloth napkins and like for the dorm food it was like whoa this is <laughs> what is this you know i'm so stating like american crap from like, <laughs> 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 i would i don't know what you guys ate in college but like i would go to the salad bar when possible but there was a lot of junk food available oh yeah <laughs> um so so it was just like wow this is so formal and like wow i don't know it was just, and then i went down south to granada and it, the way the study abroad program was set up was they gave you a place to stay for four days and you had to find your own place to live. And it was like, okay, so I've got to get this taken care of before classes start. 
I have a limited amount of time. What do I do? And so it was like checking want ads in the paper and like people, like families who would take on students and apartments and like just looking at all the options and talking to people and finding a place to live. And it was just, it was just this huge adventure. And I felt, I was just so proud of myself for, you know, it being the first time I was outside of my country, finding a place to live on my own and going to school and like having a life in this country where I was speaking a language that was not my native language, you know? And it was just, ah, it was just such a huge, I mean, my life is truly before and after that year. Wow. And you, you were so right about um, the way the Spanish feed themselves in terms of the formal napkins and dinners and, and everything has got this format. And and it's funny because it's like this weird juxtaposition. The Spanish are like the most fun loving group of people I've ever been around. Yeah. So you've got that fun loving spirit on the one hand, and you've got this formal sit down type of meal and enjoying the food on the other. And, you know, I remember as a little boy, you know, my dad Love Spanish coach. Matter of fact, the only time I've ever seen my dad cry other than the death of his grandfather was when we got transferred away from Spain to come back to the United States. He he actually sat there. I was like eight years old. I'll never forget. That. He cried like a baby. He did not want to leave. And he almost decided to get out of the Air Force just to stay in Spain. And uh, but I, I, I find I say all that to say like these siestas in Spain are a very real thing for those who've never experienced that before. Yeah. Here is this stupid American, me, walking around the streets of Madrid at one o'clock in the afternoon, and there's not a car on the road, can't find anybody, nothing. And and then all of a sudden, I, I find myself, you know, around four o'clock when everything opens back up again, you know, at that point in time, I'm in, in the house for dinner. And I don't know how many times I missed dinner because I was out gallivanting the streets and I always got lost. And the Spaniards always pointed me back home. Yeah. And uh, and the other thing, too, going back to your language thing, I, too, took Spanish in college, Spanish in high school, Spanish in, in elementary school. And here I am all these years later on Duolingo learning Spanish again. Mm. Because you're right. They don't teach you how to speak the language. No, they teach you how to pass tests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and I got a girlfriend whose first language is Spanish. And her mother actually lives here in Vegas now, too. And she was also born in Valencia. So I'm getting this cultural Spanish thing that I spent, you know, that my parents tell me I spoke fluently as a five-year-old, which I have no clue because I don't speak it now. And it's like, it's easier now because I'm hearing it every day. It's like the back and forth. But yeah, back then, nah, nah, nah. Uh, Holly, he speaks, he speaks Spanglish now. Well, that's a start. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you know, you know, Spanglish was the first time I heard the term Spanglish was when I lived in San Antonio. Oh, really? it's, it's one of those things that you don't hear a lot of in in like when you're talking about Spanish, Spanish versus English. Okay. But you do hear it along that South Texas border because yeah. you got the people from Mexico coming across the border who speak broken English. You got people stupid like me who speak broken Spanish. So yeah, it worked out. But yeah, I used to hear the phrase Spanglish all the time when I lived in San Antonio. Um, going back to Dave's comment about adult beverages, you were a young college student back then. Uh, did you partake of Spanish nightlife? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 first... we, we, we won't tell your husband, so go ahead. <laughs> it is okay to share the good and the bad experiences, okay? <laughs> no, actually, actually, I had only good experiences because by that time I had kind of learned how to drink. Um, so <laughs> I, one of my first memories was that first week in Madrid, um, we kind of coincided with this group of Spanish students that were all the people who had had to do summer school because they had failed stuff during the year. So they were very much party students. Um, and I remember they went out and they bought these two new, like huge garbage, like cans, you know, the plastic ones to make sangria. And they made two garbage cans full of sangria and invited all of us. And I just remember thinking like, A, this is amazing. It's delicious. And B, like, who makes sangria and these huge, like, quantities like <laughs> two garbage cans full like <laughs> and then and then when i went to down south to granada it was just they have a really beautiful culture there of, of free tapas the tapas are free mm-hmm. so the little snacks that you get and you buy a drink and you get those for free whereas in other parts of the country you have to pay for them um so it was just a thing to like go out with my friends and have dinner you know by having some drinks and having some snacks 
And that was just really lovely. It was just a beautiful part of, you know, university life down there. Are you sure that you're remembering everything about that experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I did. <laughs> I, I think some of my bad drinking experiences happened in California, not abroad. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to the California part too. <laughs> did, did you get a chance to? I, I know you went to Madrid and Grenada. Did you get a chance to go to other parts of Spain during your journey? Yes, did you make I it did. to the Mediterranean and stuff? Yeah, I did. I traveled around. I traveled to Sevilla. I traveled up north. I kind of went all around the Barcelona area and then kind of around the top, Galicia. And I did loads of traveling. I'm and on my own. And that was the first time, again, I'd ever traveled on my own, just, you know, pack my stuff in a backpack and hop on a train or a bus and go somewhere. And that was, that was really freeing as well. I mean, that was kind of, I think that was where I learned how to travel alone and that it's okay to do that. Because I know so, so many people are so hung up about that. Right. It, was there a fear factor to being a woman who I'm assuming you were single at the time? Yeah. Uh, and, and traveling by yourself. Was there any fear that comes with that? Not in the travel so much, but in the going out, yes. Because the men can be very forward there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember being really uncomfortable. Like, especially that first week in Madrid, there were a couple of times that we went out. And like, I remember this one point being on the dance floor and all of a sudden I was surrounded by men. And it was like, uh, who are these guys? And like, they all want my attention. Cause I'm like the foreigner who's obviously, you know, different. So I attract attention, but like just being really uncomfortable by that. Um, and I was a super shy person. No, I, not you. My, I was, yeah, I was super <laughs> shy when I was that age. So it was like, it was super overwhelming. Um, but that, that's all I remember. Like traveling, I always felt fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we've had a lot of uh, uh, solo female travelers on our show, and we always hear about some of the precautions that they take. Yeah. Like, one of the precautions they always take is they don't stay at Airbnbs, for example. They stay at, oh. at top hotels because there's always mm. people around. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they don't venture out very much at night without a, either an escort or a female friend. But if they're traveling by themselves, they're going to have to make that female friend while they're in, <laughs> in the country. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get a lot of that. and. Um, but solo women travel is a big, big, big thing. The travel industry would be wise to, to uh, pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have lived in Spain, yeah. Yeah. Spanish country, uh, to, for lack of a better word, the motherland, Spanish. Yeah. You've also lived in Costa Rica, which is in Central America. And you've lived in Mexico, Chile, and Argentina, which is in South America. Even though they're all Spanish-speaking countries, is there, have, have you noticed a difference in cultures? Massive difference in cultures. Massive difference in cultures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like huge difference in cultures okay. and huge difference in the language as well. Yes. So, you know, growing up in California, I learned Latin American Spanish. And so when I got to Spain, it was like, there were all these new words that I never learned in school. And I had other words for things that weren't the words there. So I kind of had to relearn the language. And then when I moved to Costa Rica and then Mexico, it was like, I kind of had to relearn again. Um, because it's a language that's spoken in so many different countries and it kind of takes on these different regional variations. Um, but the cultures are absolutely very different, very different. Right. Can you share some of those differences in terms of the culture? Um, yeah, so Mexico's very much rich in indigenous culture. I mean, mm. I lived in Southeast Mexico, so I lived in the Mayan world, and most of the people where I lived were Mayan. Um, and I just, I love the magic of the indigenous cultures of Mexico. And I know mm. this exists in other parts of, of Latin America, but I lived in Mexico for eight years, so that's like a big chunk of my life. Um, it's just so rich and you know what I'm when I used to get sick or I was you know feeling unwell, I wouldn't go to the doctor. I'd go to a Mayan healer. And they would give me some plants or some herbs or some tea or some, you know, and it, I just, I loved that. And I think part of that is kind of being connected with nature. Cause when I lived in Mexico, I mm -hmm. lived in the jungle, you know, I didn't have electricity for most of the time. Um, it was a very different lifestyle. And so I was much more connected to nature and connected to the ways that the local people were living as well. Um, yeah. Mexico's 
has a place in my heart. <laughs> and, and you know what? Those ancient Mayan uh, herbs and traditions mm. about getting rid of illness, they work. Yeah. There yeah. is something to be said for all this modern medicine that we yeah. all ascribe to in the quote unquote civilized world, where some of that stuff in the Mayan world, where they've had to be self-reliant for hundreds of thousands of years, those things work. I've, mm. I got sick. Where did I? Was it? It wasn't Costa Rica. It was some Spanish speaking country. I got sick and the same thing happened. I'm out. They got, they've got leaves on my head and they got the yeah. thing they did on my wrist. And within like 24 hours, that's back to my old self. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the jungle experience must have been something. Tell us a little bit about that. No running water, uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, bathing in streams, um, beating your be, beating your clothes on a rock. Uh, you know. for, for a yeah. California girl, that had to be a culture shock. Oh, I loved it. Oh, God, I loved it. So I lived for seven years in Tulum, which is now totally different from what it was in 1998 when I first, you know, went there. Um, but I lived in some cabins on the beach, surrounded by jungle, um, talking about snakes. Sometimes I'd wake up in the morning, there'd be a boa constrictor in the bathroom or under the sink because I really liked it in there because it was cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I had I had a proper toilet. I had a shower. We used to get water delivered every so often in a truck from town and you'd have fill up the water tank. Um, but I didn't have electricity, so we had candles. Um, cooking was I had a gas burner and we get you know, have to bring in gas. You get gas delivered, get ice delivered from town uh, to keep your food cold. Um, yeah, it was it, again, it was a slowing down of, of life for a while. Because and and everything takes more time because you've got to wash your clothes by hand, you've got to wash your dishes by hand, you've got to you know everything is. No, it's just the first year, especially that I lived in Tulum. It was very, very rustic and just very kind of reconnecting with the beach and the trees and the the iguanas. Iguanas would you know come up into my house and try to get food. Um, Hermit crabs. I was constantly taking hermit crabs out of my house. It was, it was just, yeah, it was a connection to nature that was really beautiful. Boy, has Tulum changed. I just I saw an ad on TV last night. I was, I didn't know what part of Mexico you had been in, but I just saw an ad for Tulum last night, and it was a trip giveaway that somebody's putting on, and it's a resort property down there. Now I'm like, oh, they just ruined it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not yeah. your experience. No, and I haven't been there since, I don't know, 2008, 2010, and I don't want to go back because my memories of that place are of the super rustic Tulum, and I don't want them to be damaged by the reality of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing that you brought up when Dave asked you about the different cultures within the Spanish language, if you will, mm, yeah. uh, you know, I've been to Mexico, I've been to Costa Rica, which we're going to touch on in a minute, and uh, e even within Spain, like if you're in the Catalonia region of Spain versus uh, the southern region of Spain or something like that, the nuanced languages are mm. so, so different. And, you know, my girlfriend, who, like I said, she was born in Valencia, but raised in Puerto Rico. So she's uh. got, yeah, so she's got this, this uh, combination of all these different Spanish nuances in her head. Yeah. And I remember when we were in Costa Rica four or five years ago, she just adjusted on the fly, but she had to explain to me the nuance. Yeah. And I, I, I never got the nuance, but yeah, that's um, <laughs> anyway, moving on to Costa Rica. <laughs> yes. Where were you in Costa Rica? I was in San Jose in the capital. Oh, you were um, I was living okay. in. Yeah, I was living in a suburb of the capital. I was living in an eastern suburb, teaching in a western part of the, the capital. Um, so I'd kind of have to take a bus, two buses to get to work every day. Um, and that was another thing where I just showed up. I'd never been there before had, I uh, was on a special work permit for, you know, temporary work permit, found a place to live, found a job and it was fantastic. And then I traveled whenever I had, you know, a couple days off. Well, the Dave was one of your students, by the way, he just was a little boy and you didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, sometimes, comes, Michael, I tell you, some, sometimes you say things that I just don't know how to respond. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm good for that. Um, so, so, so you were in San, my, my Costa Rica experience is a lot different than yours. I was in the Guanacaste region, which is in the northwest corner on the Pacific yeah. Ocean. You know, I walk out the door and the first thing I see is monkeys in the morning. Oh, um, yeah. And they will tell you this. Our most watched, let me rephrase that, our most listened to podcast to date has been Costa Rica. Yeah. Everybody we have discussed, we actually have a friend, a, a very dear friend of mine who lives in um, Puerto Lemon. Uh, uh, she's actually from there, even though she's got dual citizenship. And she's actually getting her PhD from Harvard, all from Costa Rica right now, oh. um, because she wants to set up early childhood education in the, the Afro-Caribbean region of Costa Rica. So she's, mm -hmm. uh, we had her on, I think it was like episode five or six. I mean, it was really early on in our evolution. And people are still going to listen to that um, uh, podcast. And the beauty of it is, is because I was able to talk the same language to her because I've been to Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Costa Rica so much to me rephrases. I am thinking about buying a piece of property in Costa Rica just to retire there. Wow. What part? Uh, it will be somewhere along a beach. I told you I have an affinity yeah. for the beach. Uh, the flip side to that is, uh, I'm looking a little further South this time, like getting closer to the border with Panama. Uh -huh. Um, but also having access to San Jose in case I need to do something. We were, we were a three, three and a half, four hour car ride from San Jose, uh, from where we were. And that's a little far, like if you need medical attention or things yeah. like that. But the other thing about Costa Rica, which people don't realize that that's one of the, I think it was the 12th rated healthcare system in the world. Yeah. They have a really good healthcare system. There, as a matter of fact, a lot of American doctors are sending their patients to, to Costa Rica, do things and get their rehab before they bring them back home. Wow. So, yeah, uh, the only yeah. thing I know they require now is you got to have your own insurance. But heck, Costa Rica even takes U.S. Medicare. Oh, wow. Really? Wow. It's a gorgeous country. Yeah. It's it, so gorgeous. And Puerto Limon, like, I love that part of the country. That was my favorite part. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Now, uh, now, now when, when you were in Costa Rica and Mexico, Dave, remember when Rebecca, Rebecca Bernard is my friend who's, who lives in Costa Rica. She said that they do a lot of bartering in Costa Rica for food. Like the fishermen will go out in the morning and come back and bring the fish back while her family will work on something else. And they just hand food back yeah. to each other. They just uh, barter it out uh, like that with, you know, no, no exchange of money, no nothing. It's just one of the things they do. I love that. Have you no. had that experience? No. Cause I was, you know, I was living there temporarily. I was living in the city. So whenever I did go out somewhere else, I was kind of a tourist. So no, I didn't have that experience, but I would love to. I mean, I love that kind of lifestyle. Did, did, did you get into nature when you were, I, I know you said you've been around parts of the country, but you know, you've always, the common thread with you is you're outdoors. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so whenever I could, I got outdoors. Um, there's so many great places to get outdoors in Costa Rica. I mean, you've got rainforests, you've got beaches, you've got volcanoes. I mean, I remember hiking up the side of a volcano um, with a tour guide and, and we got to the point where it was still hot. Like the the lava rocks were still hot from when mm. they had come out, and it was like, wow, this this kind of extreme nature that I hadn't experienced in other places. Oh, I loved it. The rainforests are gorgeous. Oh, I, I love them. Costa Rica is gorgeous. Again, that's a place that I haven't been to since the 1990s, so I'm kind of afraid to go back. <laughs> um, but you should. It. There are parts of it that are my my big angst about maybe looking for a place closer to the Panamanian border as compared to where I was. Is exactly what you're alluding to. Mm. It's starting to get developed now. People have discovered mm. Costa Rica all of a sudden, and it's starting to become westernized too much for my taste. And yeah. that that's the scary part for me. Yeah, yeah. We've had a number of guests, most of them being travel writers and. We hear a lot about Spain, we hear a lot about Costa Rica, and we hear somewhat about Mexico, but haven't heard a whole lot about Chile and Argentina. Can, can you share your experiences in Chile with us right now? I'm certain Michael would want to hear about Argentina as well. Yeah, so I lived, I lived in Argentina, and um, so when I was living in Tulum, I owned and operated a eco hotel with a business partner. And then we went down to Argentina with a plan to kind of find a property down there. 
And we ended up finding something in Chile, in Patagonia. And so that's how I ended up in Chile. And we found this property in the middle of nowhere, in between two lakes with a river down the side of it that was so remote, there were no roads that went there. Mm. So you had to get there by boat from Argentina or by horseback. Um, so I spent a lot of time in very remote pl- parts of Chile that no one's e- ever heard of or been to because we were working on that property. And then whenever we'd kind of go into civilization, and I say that with air quotes, um, it would be back to Argentina because that was the easiest way from that property into the rest of Chile. It, it was, you know, horseback or I mean, people used ox carts to like carry stuff around there. Like, <laughs> like it was so rustic and just incredibly wonderful. <laughs> it was another place that I loved because it was like going back to the olden days of doing things. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. But well, you know, most Americans have only heard about Chile from the, the thirty-three coal miners that were trapped underground there. Yeah, but, sadly. Yeah, I mean, when you think about Chile, you think about you know the driest desert in the world being there. You think about those, uh, um, the, the, the mountain range that bisects the country, which I believe is the second highest mountain range in the world after the Himalayas. Um, did you ever get a chance to experience life at 8,000 feet plus? No, I didn't. No, we were, de- <laughs> we were down, like, like I said, in between those in, in lakes between in a lakes. microclimate, you could see glaciers from, from where we were. Um, you could see, you know, snow covered mountaintops, but, but it was a very, very special microclimate. Right. As, as regards to Argentina, one of the things I've always known about Argentina and I've never been there personally is the food. Yeah. Uh, they have some, <laughs> gr- every time I turn around, like here in Vegas, we even have Argentinian restaurants that specialize yeah. in, and it's heavy on meat. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what was your experience with the Argentinian food? Well, I was vegetarian when I moved there. I'd been vegan for years. And when I left, I was a very avid meat eater. (laughs) 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 So that should give you an idea. (laughs) (laughs) They have excellent steak. I mean, anything to do with the cow. So steak, um, ice cream, the best ice cream in the world, Um, leather. So they've just got tons of land. And the cows are grass-eating cows. They're not corn-fed cows. They roam huge properties. Like they're just, I think, I think happy cows, I would hope, until (laughs) until they're, you know, ready to be slaughtered. But um, (laughs) but but they're living in great conditions. And the the flavor of the steak is just unlike anything other. So yes, so Argentinian Argentinians are, you know, big fans of steak. Um, that country is known for its beef. But they also have a huge Italian influence. So there's also a lot of pasta and pizza. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Oh, and by the way, Argentina, Argentina is also famous for wines. Did you partake? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Really well known for its wine. Excellent wine. Um, yeah, beer is not really a thing down there. Like they have their local beers, but it's it's nothing like the wine. Wine oh, is... Okay. The the adult beverage of choice. Well, they, 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 they have the Cumberbatch brand down there. Just yes. so you can go look it up. All right. I'm going to ask you to share your, your bad wine experience then. Maybe I can pull something oh. out of you in terms of sharing your bad adult experiences. Your bad experiences with adult beverages. Oh. I don't think I have one in Argentina. <laughs> You're good. You are really good. <laughs> yeah. Because if Dave shared his, we'd be here a while. Oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really can't think of any. I mean, I'm I I like wine and I like beer, but I'm not a huge drinker. So okay. So okay. I don't usually drink to excess. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, you were you were born in California, as mentioned yes. before, but you live in England now. You've traveled to some of the countries that we just discussed. In some cases, living in re- re- remote areas, uh, which you spoke about a little while ago. How how has well? Let me preface my question by saying, in America, where so much is valued on money, how has some of these experiences changed you or transformed you as a person? 
recognizing that there's much more to life than just hard cash, just money? That's a really good question. Um, Great question. Yeah. So many layers to that question. So many layers to my answer. Where do I start? Um, I think that above all, I've learned that the most important thing to me is to have access to nature wherever I live. I mean, when my husband and I first moved here, we lived in London for a year, which was great to kind of get the handle on things, but it's a city. And even though it has fantastic parks, it wasn't, it wasn't kind of feeding my soul in the way that like raw nature does. And when Mm -hmm. we moved out here to where we are today and where we've been for the last 10 years, it just, like I said, it feeds my soul in a way that, you know, other stuff doesn't and money doesn't, you know, obviously we need money to live and to have the experiences that we want. But, but I think for me, earning money and, you know, creating money through my business, it's not to buy stuff. It's to have experiences and to have more experiences. Um, And luckily a lot of the experiences that I like to have, like camping, it is cheap. You know, you need to have, you need to have the gear and you have the right equipment, but campsite is like what, 15 pounds compared to a hotel, which would be, you know, 10 times that. So, so I have kind of inexpensive tastes (laughs) in terms of traveling. (laughs) That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) I don't mind traveling kind of in a rustic experience because that oftentimes rustic experiences are what connect you to nature. So I'm very flexible. Yeah. You also have a a, a wide uh, expanse of cultural experiences. Uh, How does interacting with other cultures actually shape you in terms of your outlook on life? Yeah. Oh, it just absolutely broadens my mind and my perspective. And, and I think it's really just, I wish, you know, as I say this, I'm thinking, I wish everyone had to like study abroad or like have some kind of experience in another country, either at a young age or something, because it just helps you see the world from other people's perspective. It helps you see that there's another way of doing things, that your way of doing things is not the way of doing things or the right way, or the best way, that there are many valid and good ways of doing things. And yeah, I think, you know, compassion for other people and understanding for other people and and understanding of all the different beautiful ways of living in this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm picking on my own country somewhat when I say this about Americans, but we have this propensity to not understand or have tolerance for other cultures. And that drives me insane yeah um and and the other thing from an american perspective i don't think we understand that a lot of the world can do things more efficiently and better than we can (laughs) and they don't get it uh you know whether it's you know like your touch on nature and culture or even just advances in technology there are pieces of technology that exist in the uk that don't exist in america that you guys are 15 years ahead of us and americans don't get it and I want yeah. to scream every time, go travel someplace, get a passport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it. I, I think a lot of Americans have that idea that, you know, it's the greatest country in the world. Why would you want to go anywhere else? Right. And it's like, well, you know, there are other things out there, other things to see, other things to do. So. Yeah. I, I think my, my preference for the international travel is reflective in the company that I keep because pretty much every friend I have is, is from a foreign country. Or is at least an American who's not afraid to go see other parts of the world versus, yeah. you know, some of the places I've lived where people haven't left a 20 mile radius of their front door ever. Um, so um, in the limited time we have left, what is is there a travel destination that you haven't been to that you want to go to? All and the rest you, of the world. I was going to say, you can have more than one answer. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the first place that came to my mind is exploring more of Scotland. Um, so there's this mm. trail called the Scottish National Trail that goes from the border with England all the way up to the point of Scotland. And it's a new trail. It was kind of culled together from some existing trails and linked together. And and it takes about seven weeks to do, six and a half, seven weeks. And I would love to do that because parts of Scotland are so wild. Like once you get up into the highlands, 
it's just, you know, there's no people there and you can be alone on the trails for hours at the time, or probably in this case, days at a time. And I just, I really relish that experience. I really want to have that experience of just being alone and camping and, and carrying my stuff on my back and, and, but doing that in a much more remote part of the country. Um, yeah. Dave, so Dave, that, did, Dave, did you see the smile on her face when she said yeah. Scotland in remote part of the country? It's like she had to stop smiling long enough to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it just feels really juicy to me. Like, like I, I have I have a friend who's actually been on my podcast a couple of times who was the first woman to through hike that trail, Yvette Webster. Um, and she's she's written about it. She's writing a book about it now. But but every time I read about that trail and people's hear people's experiences about that trail, it's just like, ah, I really want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. Uh, it's called Into the Woods. And it's it's changed names. It's changed focuses. It's changed so many times over the last almost eight years since I started it. Um, but right now it's about personal growth through outdoors adventures. So it's talking to people who get outdoors and what they've learned from their experiences. Um, I also do talk about tree communication and plant communication. Um, so it's about kind of the spiritual side of nature and the practical side of nature. Um, the other thing too that you've done, uh, I believe the last count was 17 books. Uh, it's actually up to, I think, 20 or 21 now. Oh no, you keep writing. <laughs> you, you've got an old bio of mine. There's oh, more. Okay. <laughs> Is there a thread line throughout your books, uh, a common thread that you weave together? Because I know you mentioned, you know, your your book, uh, uh, If the Trees trees Could Listen. Yeah, If Trees Could Talk. Or Could Talk. And so is there a common thread throughout your books? There's starting to be. Um, In the beginning, no. So my first four books were about business mindset because that used to be my thing. Like I used to be a business mindset coach. So I've written these four books and four workbooks about business mindset. And then from there, I started writing books about nature. And so whenever I walk a trail here in the the UK, I write a book about it. Um, And then the tree book was very much obviously about trees. And I'm writing more books about different plant spirits and plant spirit healing. I would say the common thread is just personal growth through connecting with nature. I, I, I don't know if we asked you this before, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. And, if, and I apologize for being redundant if we did ask it, but your connection to nature and your spiritual growth, how did that grow inside of you? What got you into that space um, of, of connecting nature to spiritual growth. What, what was the thing? It, it, was there an inciting incident to steal a phrase from my screenwriting days? Was there an inciting incident or a series of incidents that got that connection for you? No, I think it was kind of like a slow evolution of understanding. Um, so I was in a Sufi commu- um, group for about 12 years. So that was my spiritual group for many years in Argentina. And then when I first moved here, and then I just started spending more and more time outdoors and realizing that it, it meant more to me than just, oh, it's nice to go run on a trail or go for a hike. It, I hate to say again, it fed my soul. Like it, it was a spiritual experience, but I didn't understand that. And I didn't have the words for it. And it was like, how do I organize this in my head? Like, what is this that I am experiencing? And then I ended up joining a Druid order. Um, so that's kind of the ancient pagan spirituality of this land. And and that kind of gave me the framework for understanding this spiritual connection that I feel with nature. Um, it was a massive, massive, very difficult decision for me to leave my Sufi group and to join the Druid Order because I, I still love the group that I was in. But I knew that I needed I needed some kind of way to understand the spiritual connection that I had with nature. And and it was it was a leap. A faith. Um, and it's 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 definitely transformed my life because yeah. it's helped me to understand what what is this thing that's going on when I go outdoors. Yeah. F- follow your heart. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? Ooh. Um, well, once restrictions start lifting, I'd like to do some more walking long distance trails. Um, I've really gotten just running longer distances this year. I started running ultras, so I've got 200 kilometer uh, races this year. So that's 60 miles. 
Um, that's there go, there, there go my knees next. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like kind of my big adventures for this year. Um, but yeah, I really want to get into walking more long distance trails, but also running long distance trails. Like they, they make backpacks that you can run in and carry your stuff in. And I kind of want to get into fast packing, uh, which is what it's called when you run with all the stuff on your back. Um, hmm. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I, I did that when I was in the Air Force, but that was by force, not by desire. <laughs> <laughs> These are much smaller backpacks, by the way. Yeah, it's our, not, ours, not ours, Army ours backpacks. Were, ours yeah. was 70 pounds. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Holly, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I know it's uh, eh, probably past your bedtime now over yeah. there in the UK, considering what time we're recording this. Um, and uh, I hope you stay in touch with us and and yeah. uh, keep us surprised of what you're doing and we can get you back on the shows at some point in the future, maybe after all these restrictions uh, go away and you can get up to Scotland and uh, wipe that smile off your face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to you guys all day long. You shouldn't have said that because now you have an open invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want. And uh, we can find... Uh, you can learn more about Holly uh, directly on her website, Holly Wharton. It's H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-R-T-O-N, hollywharton.com. All of her books, her travels, her adventures, what's next, uh, you know, what she's making Dave and I for dinner, the adult beverages, the pub <laughs> she visits. It's all laid out there. So, again, Holly, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And I think you guys are now my new favorite podcast. So I've got, I've got oh. a little, uh, a minor road trip tomorrow for a day trip. And I'm going to be listening to you all the way there and back in the car. Right, thank you. Thank well, we you. appreciate that. And um, so on behalf of my dear friend, Dave Cumberbatch, the Barbados Flash, this is Michael Gordon Bennett thanking you for listening to uh, this podcast with Holly. Again, you will find all of uh, Holly's uh, contact information in the write-up on our podcast as well. Dave, take us home. Well, if you like our show and want to learn more, please join our mailing list. Join us next Monday for another episode of Intriguing Conversation on Tripcast 360. Until next time, from Michael, this is Dave. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs>